Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Goldberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome everyone to the latest episode of Le Beau Jeu, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about Ligue 1, delivered straight into your personal listening device in podcast form every Monday from your dedicated team of experts. And we're here to break down another spectacular and perhaps decisive weekend of Le Championnat, week 31 of the season, which shall be known from now on as Le Journée Internationale des Vitignes as both of Ligue 1's Vitinhas netted their first ever goals in Le Championnat this weekend. The wait for those goals was at times agonising, as some may think the start of this pod is as well. So without any further ado, I'm delighted to say we have a full house today. I'm your host, Robbie Thompson, and I'm joined by Ligue 1 commentator Andreas Evagora. Andreas, how was your weekend? I'm pleased to uh, hear because I was sitting at home watching the game and I heard your voice. So I realised that at least you weren't on strike. No, I wasn't. Unfortunately, I was covering a match where the technical crew were on strike, which makes things very difficult. But we, we got through it and it ended up being a very good game, which we're going to talk about later and a busy weekend. Absolutely. And we are going to talk about that wonderful French penchant for striking as well, because we know it's been in the news and it finally got to football. So now we can talk about all our, our love-hate relationship uh, with, with striking in France. And what better person to go to next than Baptiste Reno, <laughs> our very own Frenchie on the pod. He left France. I'm not sure if strikes were one of the reasons why you left Baptiste to uh, run Le Classique podcast from London, but that's where you are. How was your weekend? Great, Robbie. Thank you. Just a lot of good football on show in Liga and uh, got away with a 15-minute strike. Didn't, didn't damage my viewing, so all good. Excellent. And only a Frenchman could be so appreciative of having his football hampered by striking striking technicians. But last, but certainly not least, Jonathan Johnson, who covers all things Bleu, Blanc, Rouge for CBS Sports Galasso. And uh, JJ was a big week for CBS Sports Galasso, I think, as well, with a, a new football channel opening. And I guess that means more work for you on French football, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, no shortage of, uh, of of work to be done, and obviously uh, following Nice's adventures in uh, the Europa Conference League as well. I think we're all invested in that uh, story of France fighting for its place in the coefficient ranking. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed, no more strike action from French teams in Europe in the future. <laughs> that's that's a low blow, suggesting that that could have been the case in the past. It is great to see Nice, the uh, the minnows of France's European. Uh, adventurers this season going all the way into the quarterfinals of the Conference League. Don't forget, if you're on Twitter, you can follow the official Ligue 1 underscore ENG for English Twitter channel, Ligue 1 underscore English. And on the email, send us in your questions here. Any questions, comments you may have, or later to answer the Deja Who for your chance to win a Ligue 1 jersey, email us at league1podcast at gmail.com. Obviously, if you're listening to us now, you've found us on your favorite podcast platform. So make sure you subscribe, follow, recommend, and share. 
Now, round 31 was hugely anticipated, not least because Lens had chicoteed Paris in the north of France earlier this season, and many neutral observers thought it might happen again, not least because last week a huge story broke involving PSG coach Christophe Galtier, um, who was accused of racism while at his former club, OGC Nice. So uh, I'm going to come to you, JJ, for a little bit of a a wrap-up of what happened and more the fallout of what happened. Because last week, a couple of journalists, French journalists, one Roman Molina and the other uh, Daniel Riolo on on a a late-night, every-evening talk show on French radio, um, revealed that they had come across an email by former Nice sporting director Julien Fournier, which was sent to Dave Brailsford, who was the head of Ineos at the time and uh, sort of overseer of all things Ineos and, uh, and Nice, their sporting family, which includes cycling and yachting and, and various other interests. This email from Julien Fournier was sent to his bosses then at Nice saying, look, I've just had a meeting with John Valovich Galtier, who was the who is the stepson of Christophe Galtier, who was coach of Nice at the time, and then Christophe Galtier followed um, the son John Valovich Galtier into the room, and uh, basically Julien Fournier says he was asked to try and recruit some white French players because there were too many, and this is to in a nutshell. Too many Muslims in the side that would be practicing Ramadan, which would affect the sporting performance of the side. That's one thing. Then there's also the other side of that argument of what was said uh, allegedly by the by Christophe Galtier and his stepson, adopted son Jan Valovic Galtier, that the team he had, that the squad he had did not reflect the city of Nice, did not reflect the values of Nice. And when Christophe Galtier went out to a restaurant in the city of Nice, all there, the other, the people of the restaurant were saying, what is this team? This is not us. This team doesn't represent us. The the intonation being that this does not represent uh, the white Frenchmen of, of Nice, French men and women of Nice, and that uh, there was a disconnect between between the, the the people, the supporters of Nice Football Club and the team itself. Now, that's what exploded into the scene in midweek. Christophe Galtier then immediately came out and said, I'm shocked and horrified by by these accusations. There's no there's no foundation to them whatsoever. A lot of people, um, including players that played under him, including someone like Burak at, at Lille, uh, a Turkish uh, Muslim, practicing Muslim of course, um, former coaches, former teammates, everyone saying that this is ludicrous accusations. JJ, I'll come to you. That's a, that's essentially what's happened. What's the next step? I hear the police have gone to Nice to try and get dig into computers and find any more proof of this because the accusations are very, very serious in, in France, as they are anywhere in the world, of course. And did it have any effect on Christophe Galtier? Will it have any effect on, on his future at Paris Saint-Germain? Yeah, never a dull moment in uh, in in French football. <laughs> I don't think a week can go by without some sort of controversy sort of exploding, uh, you know, onto the scene. Um, I think 
you know, did it have an impact on Christophe Galtier going into this game? Certainly, you know, we we know that Christophe Galtier has been quite embattled for the last, you know, month or so now since PSG went out of the Champions League, uh, went out of the Coupe de France as well. Uh, you know, there were reports before all of this surface that he basically had the Nice match away uh, and uh, the last match at home to essentially save his job up until the end of the season because it's already considered kind of a foregone conclusion that he won't be PSG manager, uh, you know, from this summer. Uh, you know, obviously something like this is going to make that, uh, you know, a, a lot more difficult for, for him to remain in charge of PSG beyond the end of the season, you would assume. And also, uh, you know, despite whatever might come out next, uh, you know, I think that Galtier is going to probably have to fight quite hard, uh, you know, in order to to maintain this deserved image that he's built up over the years as a fantastic coach, uh, you know, within the French game. You know, I think it speaks volumes to his impact, uh, you know, on French football over the last 10 years or so that so many people would be willing to, you know, come out and speak out in uh, in, in defense of him. Probably also quite damning as well, um, you know, for for somebody like Julien Fournier, that the man who hired him, Eric Roy, who's currently boss of Brest, you know, came out and actually spoke very honestly, very frankly about him and said that he wasn't surprised that he might have been sort of the source of this uh, leaked email. Obviously, that's, you know, uh, a lot of speculation at this moment in time. But you did mention that, the, you know, the authorities have gone to Nice's stadium to start to dig through, uh, you know, the computer files and everything. And it sounds like, uh, you know, this is something that is going to continue to move at quite high speed. And we may well have some clarity uh, on it in the in the near future. But you know, to see the way that it snowboard is is quite staggering, uh, you know, and, and that's me speaking in 2023 when these kind of stories explode quite frequently, uh, you know, across all, uh, you know, different kinds of topics, not just uh, not just football, um, you know, and I think it's quite saddening as well, um, you know, to sort of hear that, you know, Galtier's personal details were kind of shared on social media. He received reams and reams of phone calls and messages threatening him and his family uh, to the point where he had to be put under a security detail after that. So, uh, you know, this this has obviously, you know, really, uh, you know, exploded and snowballed massively in just the space of a couple of days. Uh, and it's it's difficult at this moment in time to sort of see a, a way that, uh, you know, Galtier probably doesn't have to take some time out of the game, away from the game. Uh, you know, you'd imagine that once PSG start the title, which let's face it now after that victory over Lens and the victory in Nice as well, is, you know, just a, a matter of time. But uh, yeah, you know, very, very, very shocking to have covered uh, as a journalist. And something else that I would add that I think maybe gets underplayed in all of this is that there was a mini controversy when Galtier took PSG to Nice last weekend and won. There were some, you know, unsavory chants from the Nice fans and uh, banners that were put up in the crowd. And it kind of feels like that was what kind of lit the uh, the fuse on all of this that, that kind of exploded a couple of days later. We will talk about the football match as well. Don't worry, we are here to talk about the football as well. But Baptiste, before we do, there's so many tricky elements in this, not least that French society has a has has this long history of 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 involvement in North Africa. Um, further down, I mean, we're not going to rewrite the history of, of French colonialism or or its impact on on modern day football. But I think there are elements of this because we've seen on on the big sports show Canal Plus on the weekend where where a couple of the journalists were saying 
it's not racism. He's not saying we can't have too many Muslims in the side or is, this is purely talking sporting. You know, if you don't eat all day, it's harder to play a football match in the evening. Samir Nasri came out and said, you just can't say it. Look at Karim Benzema, the best player in the world at the moment who who does this. There's a history of, of players and, and you don't have to say it because if the coach doesn't want to play a player because they're they're not performing... They don't play. You don't have to say why and you don't have to say no more Muslims full stop in my team or let's put a limit on it. And when I say put a limit on it, does anyone else think that that just reminds us all of Laurent Blanc, another old school type coach going back to when he was France head coach and saying, we've got too many dual nationals. We've got too many. And then to say it that way is one thing. And then to go on and say, we've got too many big, strong, tall, broad-shouldered, coloured players coming through our ranks who, once they don't qualify for the France team, then go and play for Guinea or Cameroon or, or Tunisia, their, their second national colour, and that we need to put quotas and have only French people coming through national academies. This, again, was a huge blow-up and one, was one of the huge factors of why Laurent Blanc was then removed from the France national team job. Baptiste, as a Frenchman overseas, watching this from, from afar, how do you read what's happened in the last week, 10 days? Uh, just, you know, with sadness and sort of predictable sadness, I think if you're looking at a, at a population that's been marginalized historically in France, it's um, people of North African descent, whether they're immigrants or French nationals, um, and even more so over the last 20, 25 years, um, people of the Muslim faith think have been marginalized. So to, to see this sort of debate going on um, in a country like France, uh, in, this, in the way France has been voting over the last 10 or 12 years, is sadly not surprising. I would have, I would have liked to, um, there to be a, a certain uh, grandeur d'esprit, you know, having the ability to... to um, not be above it, but to, to think really rationally about this and, and not jump into um, tropes and, and prejudices. And, and sadly, that's what we're seeing. Um, that's what we're seeing come, come out of this, this debate, which I, 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 think is, I think is quite sad. And as you said, France has, France has previous for that with the, with the story of the quotas, and which was at the, you know, that was the Direction Technique Nationale. So this was right at the heart of the Federation. So obviously, still a lot that needs to, to come out that, uh, you know the truth needs to come out, and hopefully we will we'll get we'll get it at some point. But it's to see to see this population being targeted is sadly not a surprise, I think, in French society at the moment. And and you mentioned how that was the the technical direction of the national team and the national academies, and the the French Football Federation has since gone on. This is fifteen years later, or ten years later, to cover itself in all sorts of glory at the moment as well as we're as we've seen in the huge changes that are sweeping through there. We don't have all the information yet. Surely more light is going to be shined on this topic as well. And we will, of course, keep you up to date. Let's turn our attentions to what happened on the football pitch then. It was first v second on Saturday. It was Paris Saint-Germain entertaining Lens. And calling all the action was Armel Tongi. From Genie. Couldn't quite bring that one past Marquinhos and... Hakimi caught as he tried to bring the ball out. It's a red card. Salis Abdul Samed shown a straight red by this evening's referee, Willy Delajo. 
And after an exceptionally strong start from the visitors, they're down to 10 men. And you can understand why. That's a nasty challenge. Loss. Now played 11 at man short as Mbappe turns and opens the scoring. That's a brilliant first-time finish from Kylian Mbappe. Lovely goal, that really is. On the swivel, perfectly into the corner past Brice Samba. And Paris Saint-Germain making their numerical advantage pay. Kylian Mbappe with his 20th goal of the season in Liga, And Paris Saint-Germain now lead by one goal to nil. Another Parisian corner, this time taken short by Lionel Messi. It's Nuno Mendes. It's worked all the way back for Vitinha. He might strike from distance. He does! He scores! Paris now two up, thanks to Vitinha. There was a corner that was worked back very deep. Always makes you wonder what they're going to do when it goes all the way back to the deepest player. Vitinha took responsibility, 25 yards out, bending away to his right, away from Brice Samba. He'll be disappointed to have been beaten from there. But Vitinha's first goal for Paris Saint-Germain has the host two goals to the good. Messi manages to turn away from Adrian Thomason, not once but twice. Mbappe, that is delightful. Lionel Messi, what a goal! Paris three up, and that was a recital. A goal of the highest quality from two of the very best players in world football. Lance getting trampled on now. How about this? What a back heel from Kylian Mbappe. Not a bad finish either from Lionel Messi. That is some goal. And PSG. Three clear now before the break, thanks to Lionel Messi's 15th league goal of the season. The Polish international swings in the corner. It's a penalty kick. It's given us handball against Fabian Ruiz. And Lars have got a way back into this game somehow. Well, he heads it onto his arm. Frankowski scores. 3-1 now. And perhaps a lifeline for Frankowski's men. Okay, so there's what happened. An early red card, a 3-0 victory for Paris Saint-Germain, some fantastic football. Andreas Evagora, you called the game for PSG TV as well. Before the match, Medina said that Kylian Mbappe might need an ambulance. In the end, it was Salis Abdul Samed who almost meant that uh, Ashraf Hakimi needed an ambulance with that red card after after 19 minutes. That that changed the way the game the game played out essentially because Paris Saint-Germain then went on a, on an absolute blitz but uh, there was some spectacular football in that opening half yeah there certainly was and, and we've got to say Lons started the game really well I mean they completely dominated uh, I saw a stat that only 10% of the first of the first 20 minutes was played in the Lons third of the pitch uh, they kept possession PSG were <clears throat> not really looking to chase the ball a lot of possession um, Samad himself had a Good header, forced a very good save from Donnarumma. Um, then it all changed with that with that um, with that foul. There's been a lot of debate: was it a red card or not? I think on balance, 
in the modern age, probably yes. The first time you looked at it, it just looked like, well, a bit of a late tackle. But of course, when you look at it on super slow-mos and 96 frames a second and 10 different angles, it suddenly looks like uh, kind of grievous bodily harm. And, and to be fair, Samad has issued a, quite a groveling apology, actually. He sort of apologized on behalf of his team and his players and, and to, to um, Ashraf Hakimi, who was on the receiving end of that tackle. But yeah, it changed everything after that. A few heads went down um, in in red and gold after that, which was a bit of a shame. And from PSG's point of view, it kind of summed up their season. They weren't amazing over the 90 minutes. There's a lot of things to work on, but just three, especially two really uh, amazing uh, moments of individual brilliance from Mbappe and Messi. Second goal from Vitinha. Nice to see him finally scoring goal. But uh, I think Sambo will be a bit disappointed that uh, he let that one go in. Second half, again, Lons were pretty good, you know. Um, they created a few chances, got a penalty. Um, but in terms of the big picture, I think that's the, the title race. If there was one, is certainly over. But I think Lons can take quite a lot from that match, from PSG's point of view. Did the job. Uh, I think that's probably one of Vitinha's best games for the last three, four months, I would say. And again, Mbappe and, um, and Messi, when they needed to come up and do something brilliant they did that was pretty much the story of the game and 3-1 it finished Baptiste is that the season over in terms of who's going to be champions and was there really any doubt I mean they came into the game long six points behind they could have closed the gap again just as Marseille had that opportunity of a few weeks ago as well opportunities that in the end weren't taken Paris Saint-Germain now eight points clear of Marseille who have moved Second, is is that it? A Paris Saint-Germain champions for a record 11th time? I think so. If I were a betting man, I'd bet quite heavily on, on PSG. They obviously have that culture of um, doing the bare minimum, it so appears. And actually, it, it would have, you know, after those first 20 minutes from last were really high intensity, high pressure. They were really getting into PSG's face and uh, PSG couldn't really find an answer. Couldn't really get a foothold in the game. Um, it would have been interesting to see that over 90 minutes. I mean, I think they would have maybe tied a little bit uh, as well last, let's, let's be honest. But, you know, them coming back to three points with the Galtier stories coming out and the, and the club in, in disarray would have made things interesting. But I still think their quality would have would have shown through. And we saw that in the game on Saturday. I mean, ultimately, uh, they were well below par for me during the whole game, PSG. Um, even with one man up uh, in the second half. But when you've got two players like Messi and, and Mbappe who do connect well together uh, and do link up well, then anything's possible and, and um, they showed it. JJ, is this result and the, and the idea now that Paris Saint-Germain are almost across the line, does the club start to look towards rebuilding again next season? I mean, is it already time? We know that the Mbappe clan... Uh, want to have a big say on what happens, that, that Luis Campos, the, the pressure on him must be immense. He may be without Christophe Galtier next season because they're, they're just on the pitch. The team hasn't performed well enough. Off the pitch, there have been a couple of massive uh, communication hiccups as well. We all remember the windsurfing to Nantes uh, uh, little comment as well from Christophe Galtier that went down like a, like a lead balloon. JJ, not not to rehash the Galtier chat, but can you see wholesale changes now and, and Paris Saint-Germain just sort of stumbling across the line but getting there? I can see a major overhaul for PSG, but then again, it's kind of their go-to reaction uh, after, you know, 
failures season after season. You know, there always seems to be this kind of massive, uh, you know, wave of changes that gets talked about. And then, you know, what we saw last summer, yes, a lot of players got shipped out, but equally, uh, you know, you wouldn't say that it was kind of the sweeping changes that we've known that PSG probably need in terms of, you know, looking at some of the the fundamentals, like do PSG have a, a midfield when Marco Ferrati is not uh, fit or, uh, you know, available, you know, those kind of, you know, real deep questions as far as PSG's playing identity is concerned. But I think, you know, if you sort of follow sort of what's been talked about in and around PSG for the last couple of weeks, it sounds like they're already sort of starting to think ahead to next season, even before, uh, you know, these games against the likes of Nice and Lens. You know, because basically this was just an audition for Galtier to keep his job until the end of the season or until the end, until the title has been sewn up. You know, if we believe those uh, those reports uh, and, you know, once again, to echo what Baptiste said, uh, you know, PSG sort of, you know, make the most of the the chaos after Lance go uh, a man down, you know, blitz Lance in uh, in nine minutes. But for the rest of it, it kind of just felt like this uh, this minimum service and. You know, on the topic of Mbappe, uh, you know, you had that mini controversy as well, where he basically, you know, sent a very public message to PSG about being used to be the face of uh, the season ticket campaign ahead of next season. Uh, you know, which I think, despite the fact that he was railing against this idea that it's Kylian Saint-Germain, I mean, if you really wanted to prove that it is Kylian Saint-Germain, you know, this exactly the kind of thing that you do, because it feels like it's kind of added more ammunition to that debate than anything else. So, you know, I do think that there is this feeling around PSG that there will be a, a bigger push to build around um, Mbappe this summer. Uh, with regards to Galtier and Campos as well, I mean, there's even been stories that their relationship is not quite as solid as it used to be, especially after Campos came down pitch side a couple of times, notably away at Monaco and at home to Lille. So it's going to be very interesting to see what PSG do once the title is actually confirmed. I think we can safely assume that Galtier will remain in position until that happens because it's now just a question of time. But it does sound like we're heading towards a, a summer where PSG really need to, uh, you know, make some uh, big changes. And knowing that Messi and Ramos are on these contracts that are expiring no closer to any renewals, it does feel like there are going to be some big name casualties at Parc des Princes this summer. Just following on from from Jonathan and this Kylian Saint-Germain, I mean, I agree with that. And, and, and at times it, it really, I think it, there's a danger of too much noise around Kylian Mbappe. And from the last week, I mean, just the last week, two examples from his parents. Um, Wilfred apparently is quite friendly with the father of a, a 10-year-old boy who's involved in the PSG setup. And this 10-year-old wasn't picked for the under-11s team, right? The under-11s. And uh, Wilfred wasn't happy. So he, he he went to see the team and apparently they had a chat for an hour. Oh, why wasn't this boy in the under-11s? That, that may not be that big a deal, but it's, you know, it's an hour of time lost. Killian's mother was on national television this week um, talking about the image rights issue that Jonathan was, was alluding to. And she said, you know, the final straw was when um, there was a supermarket that had a cardboard cutout of Killian Mbappe after France went out of the Euros saying, um, you know, we're, we're packing our bags and going home. And yeah, that, she was almost in tears. She was really upset that, you know, her, her son was subject to this. Now, look, I, I'm not the father of a, of a global superstar, and, and I'm sure it, there's a lot of difficulties if your kid is under this kind of spotlight. But, you know, the fact that a mini market put a, a, a cardboard cutout of your son, I think that's just something you have to deal with, you know, if your son's killing Mbappe. And these are small things, you know, they're not going to stop PSG winning the league or the Champions League, but I just get the impression there's all these little things going on that do 
change the focus and, and they, they take the focus away from football, which is, again, agreeing with what Jonathan is saying. There's so much going on around PSG. And when you look at the really successful clubs, I mean, if you look at Man City, which is an obvious comparison, the focus really does seem to be on football 100%. And talking of Man City, there, there was a big debate about who might who might replace Galtier. And Sidney Govu over the weekend was saying, look, you've got a choice, the ex-Leon ex uh, player, of course. You've, do you go for a great tactician or do you go for a leader of men, in his words? Now, there's not many of those in the world. And I think PSG tended to go gone for the former. You know, Emery, great tactician. He's proving that now. Look, look what he's doing with Aston Villa. Um, Thomas Tuchel, brilliant tactician, but maybe not a leader of players, right? And does Galtier fit into that first category? And the only one that fits into both, according to Sidney Govu, is Man City's manager, Pep Guardiola, and he's not going anywhere. That would be the same Man City yet to win the Champions League, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> Andreas. Correct. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> very good. Well, look, let's talk about football now because no one else has mentioned it. They were three, you, you have mentioned it, but three stunning goals and Lionel Messi's goal, the back heel from Kylian Mbappe. Let's just take a moment to enjoy just how superb that was because it was... Uh, Really breathtaking. I know people will say, oh, but where was it when they when they played Bayern Munich when we needed to see that? Lens are a very good side. We're battling, in, in theory, for the championship. They've got the best defence in the league. And at times, they well, for that nine-minute spell, they were just torn to shreds. And yes, consistency is missing, but that was that was breathtaking. We saw all of what Mbappe and Messi can do together. I want to draw everyone's attention to one last thing concerning this match because we have to move on. We've spent far too long on this one of 10 matches, but it was Presnel Kimpembe down on the pitch afterwards with his crutches and his moon boot on. And he sang to the fans on Lisa Chicote, <laughs> which was of course, famously what uh, Conk Ez sang to the Lens fans after the victory of Lens and Paris Saint-Germain got their noses out of joint. A lot of people said, look, it's fine for the fans. It's fine even for the players to sing, but the coach, shouldn't go down and, and, and sing that song. Essentially, it's a song, and you, you will have heard it around stadiums around the world now. It goes, oh, la, la, no, oh, le, le, oh, la, la, qu'est-ce qui se passe, on les a And it starts as a whisper and then gets louder and louder until the whole stadium is jumping up and down and the, and the fans and everyone. Now, I went and did a little deep dive just to see where this was from, and I came across some incredibly interesting facts about this chant. Um, the first of which leads us back, the first time chicote, because there was a lot of thought, what does chicote actually mean? Um, it basically means whipped. We, we whipped them. They were, they were whipped. And it comes, the first time it was used in football was by a, a DR Congo singer, very famous singer called Felix Wazekwa. And it was the football song to celebrate the victory in 2016 in the Chan. Not the can, not the main footballing tournament in Africa, the secondary one for only local bass players, the Chan. The song was called Fimbu Na Fimbu, um, where he sang about how the Congo players had chicoteed everyone. And you'll see when Congo score a goal, the players do this whipping gesture. They chicot the, the opposition. Now, it was for, first brought to France, recorded in a Sosho dressing room after a win in Ligue 2 in 2016. So there you go. It ended up from there traveling to Corsica, where Jean-Louis Laker and Yannick Kauzak then brought it to Lens 
in Ligue 2. I'm getting there. Yes, I like that. I've just seen a message in the chat, which I'll get to as well. So, <laughs> so this, this song was then brought to Lens, where it took on inside the changing room, was introduced to the fans, and has become such an emblem of Lens after every victory that Jean-Louis Laker, the goalkeeper, and Yannick Kauzak, the, um, well, veteran now, um, created their own clothing label. And now you can buy, and Lance supporters have loads of clothes on the terraces about Chicoteng, the opposition. And uh, so there you go. It's, turned, it's taken on a whole life of its own. Um, and it comes from, essentially, originally, DR Congo. And, of course, as JJ has just mentioned in the chat, Presnel Kimpembe is of Congolese origin. So there you go. Perhaps that's why he decided to bring it out and serve it back up cold to the Lance players who were still leaving the pitch as he rushed out uh, with his ruptured Achilles on his, in his moon boot to, uh, to just return the favour a little bit. Let's hope it doesn't have the same effect on Paris Saint-Germain as it had on Lance because they went on a terrible run after that night when, the, when Francaise sang On les a chicotés to uh, the Lance faithful. So there we go. We're going to close the book on that uh, Paris Saint-Germain versus Lance. Other results very, very rapidly. Monaco 3-1 over Lorient. Lorient's season, which is still remains a very respectable one, but they were undone by a Monaco side. Kevin Follon getting back amongst the goals. Wissam Benyedo with two assists. Uh, Golovin with a goal and an assist as well. Um, they now have a six-point cushion over fifth-placed Lille, and they are two points behind Lens. So perhaps that battle for second place, Marseille, Lens, and Monaco, is really uh, heating up. They have a tough run, though. Monaco coming up. They've got Lille, Lyon, and Rennes to play in the coming weeks. Speaking of Lille, 2-1 winners over Montpellier. They had to do it tough. They came from behind. Jonathan David getting his 20th goal of the season, so he's level with Kylian Mbappe. In that regard, Remy Cabela with a goal and an assist against his former club, so coming from behind and uh, winning that one by two goals to one. Another 2-1 result, and again, coming from behind, was Olympic Lyonnais getting up over Toulouse. Lacazette uh, doing fantastic job. I think that's 18 goals for him now this season as well. A fantastic return for him, and all of a sudden, Laurent Blanc, who we were wondering, yes, no, good decision or not. Lyon, who were bundled out of the Coupe de France semi-finals, of course, by Nantes. Um, massive match coming up for them. Can they still get back into those European places? They're on the charge. They have Olympique de Marseille this weekend. We're going to chat about that later as well. Next game on the agenda, Stade René versus Stade de Reims. Andreas Evagora, you were commentating this one. Very trying conditions for a commentator, this one. Let's have a listen first and then discuss well, another aspect of French, uh, French society. This is a very cultural <laughs> episode of Le Beaujeu today. Here we go, Ren versus Reims. Is this going to be the first goal? It is. It's a super start for Ren. And it's just what they needed after a poor, poor run of form of late. And it's relief more than anything else. A super strike and Ren have the lead. Melling. Melling, oh, he's got the deflection. Here's a real chance for Melling. 
Charlton Regal for Melling maybe. He's put it across and it's 2-0. A brilliant break from Melling. And the finish from Doku. And this is a dream start for Wren, who are having a tough time at the moment. But they couldn't have asked for a better start to this match. Great work from Melling in the uh, build-up. He looked across and that was very unselfish. Looked like he was going to go for the strike, but not one who scores very often, Melling. 2-0 for the hosts. Taking his time. It's a nicely positioned free kick, this one. Bourigeau against the post. Danger not over. So unlucky, Bourigeau. Brilliant strike. Couldn't have come closer. So losing it. Chance for a third. And there it is. The defender stayed up for the corner. And Arta Tiai, the last of his two goals this term, was against uh, Rans in December. And he's proved again that he knows how to find the back of the net. Arta Tiai making it 3 0. Showing a real striker's instinct. It was punched out. Maybe Ito could have cleared his lines. Comes back to Tiats, and there it is. 3-0 with a crafty finish and a good one, too. Okay, Andreas. Now, as we set the scene, as most people know, fans of French football uh, around the world, hopefully, have also taken an interest in uh, France, the country, and its society. There's been massive social unrest over for more than a month now um, in Paris, in all the major cities, right around the country, concerning pushing the age of retirement back before you can get a government pension back another two years. Um, it's been met with huge opposition. And this weekend, that uh, also included the television broadcast, Andreas. How, how was it for you, your experience this weekend? What happened? <laughs> well, um, what happened was I was commentating the game. Unfortunately, I wasn't on site. We should explain. So I, I wasn't commentating it from Paris. So no... Uh, no because you couldn't have got a train there, <laughs> Andreas. <laughs> Sometimes we don't go on site, so I couldn't have a galette saucisse that Ian Holyman loves so much. So I I was preparing to commentate the match and all of the technical staff uh, at the last minute, uh, apart from one, um, were on strike. So the only image I had of, of the match was from one, what's called a tactical camera, which is quite interesting because it's a camera that is supplying image images to coaches, in fact, um, that's really important for teams. It's not really for broadcast quality. Basically, it was a long, long way away, and I couldn't really see much for the first 15 minutes. But anyway, that, that's life. Um, once the game got started, uh, this was a big, big game for Wren, because one thing I could see from, from this camera were huge banners. Uh, Wren fans had these banners saying, basically, you've been rubbish for three months. We've been patients for th patient for three months. Get, get your act together. Uh, and before the match, uh, Olivier Cloirec, the, the, the president uh, at Wren, called the last match at Leon uh, scandalous, to use his words. I mean, he was really laying into the team and Genesio, who probably the toughest time he's had um, at Wren since, since going to um, going to the club. Once things started, Wren was superb. I mean, they really did get the message from the fans and the president. You know, sometimes these things backfire, don't they? It didn't in this case. They really went for Wren, who, you know, have actually have not lost away from home under Will Still until the weekend. So really tough op opposition, uh, Rans. But Ren did extremely well. And Doku finally getting, you know, two goals. He's only scored one goal this season. So he tripled that within about 20 minutes. Two really good goals. 
Um, Ugachoku hit the post. Dvorijol hit the post. Uh, Tiat got a third. It really could have been four or five. Um, so all in all, an excellent afternoon for Wren. Uh, it's sort of the Wren of old, isn't it? I mean, we're used to seeing this last season, really good attacking football, nice sunny day in, in Brittany. So uh, pretty much a perfect afternoon. Let's see if they can carry on for the rest of the season. And they managed to do it all still without Martin Terrier, mm. of course, Baptiste, uh, Doku, such a talented player. He's been there a couple of years now. We expected this in his first season, he was part of the Belgian national team set up as well. He's he's an incredibly powerful winger. Those goals, can they help turn his season around? Can they even help turn his career around? Because he was an expensive player. He hasn't really, he's been in and out of the squad even a, a lot since he's been at Rennes. Is it just consistency that's missing and how far can he go? I, th- I mean, I think first and foremost, he's still a young player. I think he's, he's 20 or, or 21. He didn't have a lot of top flight experience before moving from Anderlecht and um and a Ren play a particular you know play a particular system um and I, I think he's just he's just carrying on his apprenticeship um whilst surviving injuries I think is the way I would look at the last few years the next step for him obviously is to be more decisive and that means play in my opinion play more um in a more simple manner and and just rely on his strength and I think he's starting to get to that so you know, a good run uh, of fitness and maybe just, uh, you know, understanding expectations, what's expected of him on the pitch a bit better um, are the next step. And I think it's, lo- it's looking good. He's, you know, I- I'm looking forward to seeing him having a positive dynamic to end the season, to take him into next year. And and I think that's when expectations should be high on, on him because he is a real difference maker. But at the moment... At the moment, he was lacking goals and assists. He's starting to come into his own, and people maybe need to be a little bit patient <laughs> with with players of his ilk as well. Um, and I think that's what Genesio, to his credit, has has done over the years. And there's an exciting player there, so I, th- I think he's got the real potential to really explode onto the scene next year if he stays fit. JJ, a side that uh, have been threatening to get throw their hat into the the European fight. It would be a a hugely unlikely one, given how this season has unfolded, but it's been one of the fairy tales. Will Still, the coach of, of Stade de Reims, he said, look, this was just a bad day at the office for, for this Reims side. He, he's an exciting coach. Are the wheels just not falling off Reims, but they're just starting to come back a little bit to the field? JJ, how do you see Reims' progression in the, in the last few weeks? That's their second defeat in four now. I mean, I certainly think there's an element of Reims coming back down to earth after some very good form. I don't think that we need to look at sort of those last couple of results necessarily as, uh, you know, sort of the bubble being burst because it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that Will Still and this Reims side have done a very, very impressive job. I think if somebody had said when Will Still, you know, first took over for his first game that they might even be in with a shout of being mentioned in the chat for Europe at the end of the season, many people you know, probably would have laughed. So I think it's to his credit and to his players' credit, uh, you know, that they've managed to even get themselves into that position. But when you look at the clubs that are going to be, you know, scrapping it out over the next sort of six weeks or so for those European spots, I do think it is unlikely that Reims, uh, you know, sort of break into it. But if they can rediscover that form that they had, uh, you know, in the, you know, in the, in the early days under Will Still and that fantastic run that they went on, you know, then they they can't be ruled out because until somebody like a like a Lyon or like a Nice finds some consistency, there is going to be sort of that potential to to you know to open the door and jump into the 
into the European equation uh, in the final couple of weeks. But I do think that there is sort of an element of, uh, you know, Haas coming back down to earth now after this, because Will still has had them punching above their weight, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks. They've certainly been relying on on Balogun goals a lot, uh, you know, especially that late penalty to, to save a point at home a, a week or so ago. But... Uh, you know, equally, like I said before, uh, you know, we, we we can't speak highly enough of of what Will still has managed to do with fairly limited resources with this Haas side. Uh, and I, although I don't think that they'll be in the reckoning for Europe this season, if he stays on, if they manage to find the right player to replace Balogun, who knows for next season? Because, you know, this team, uh, you know, with a full preseason under Will still, uh, you know, could be quite impressive and a very underrated force next season. It'll be interesting to see who they can hold on to as well heading into next year, and in particular Balogun. That's the that's the big one. He's been such an impressive player for them up front. Speaking of European football then and potentials, because Ren are now just two points shy of that fifth place now. Nice, who were involved in a thrilling 2-2 draw with Basel, they probably feel that they could have got a better result away to, to the Swiss side in the first leg quarterfinals of the Conference League. Um, they play that return leg this coming Thursday at Allianz Riviera. They went down 1-0 to Brest, and it was uh, something of a big match for Eric Wah, who we just heard about, who's a former, well, who's a Nice man through and through, basically, um, who's now head coach at Brest. A 1-0 victory for them. Didier Digger showing his hand a little bit by resting Todibo, Budawi, Tara Moffi, who scored the most wonderful left-footed bicycle kick uh, against Basel in the first leg of that European match. Catch it if you haven't seen it already. Perhaps, I mean, Nice's run in Europe has been the stuff of dreams for that club as well. Unhoped for at the start of the campaign, really, for Nice. Um, And I think that they want to just live that dream the whole way. And whether it means missing out on fifth place in in Ligue 1, they're going to give this European run a huge push. So a 1-0 victory for Brest, a big win for Brest as well. Big win it was also for Auxerre. Incredibly big win. That's now three on the bounce for them. They have pulled themselves away from the relegation zone where they have been for so much of this return season in the top flight. And it was a win over Nantes by two goals to one. This time, Nantes, who were two goals down as they were the week before, there was no way back for them despite the best efforts of Ludovic Blas. Uh, great win for Auxerre. Angus, now. Uh, Dearly beloved Angus Tarot was spotted streaking <laughs> <laughs> across the pitch late in the second half just because he couldn't control himself anymore. No, that that's not true, Angus. But uh, he was certainly a very happy man uh, with his with his team's third win in a row, and perhaps a little bit of safety for them is that Antoine Comboare's side focusing on the cup. They certain I'm not sure if they'd swap the cup for relegation. Let's see, because there are four sides now battling for one spot to join the likes of Ajaxio, Angers and Troyes, almost certainly in Ligue 2 next season. One spot left at Strasbourg's at the moment, but Nantes are not clear from there either. Clermont got up 2-1 over Angers. Clermont with little left to play for. They are like on an island, I think, in 11th place there. They're about 15 points from 10th and about another 15 points from 13th, just sitting in the middle there, waiting. Um, but a good win for Clermont. Strasbourg got up 
3-1 over Ajaxio as well. That's precious points for Strasbourg, as I mentioned, who are involved in that uh, hunt to avoid the drop. Not good result for Ajaxio, who are in big trouble. Yuito Suzuki, um, who arrived from Shimizu S-Pulse in January in the J-League, just 21 years of age, getting the final goal there for Strasbourg. A lovely individual goal it was as well, and a great win for Strasbourg. Okay, one final match to have a look at. It was Marseille versus Troyes, a painful match for any Australian to talk about as it's been a fairly difficult season. Denis Genre was involved in the Toulouse game just by the bye, um, which was good to see him getting a start up high in left midfield. But this game for Patrick Kisnorvo, um, the Australian coach of Troyes, was yet another disappointing match for them. Angus Tarode was calling the action. Giving the ball away though, and all of a sudden they're back in. Vettinia looking to get in. First chance and a goal! Just over a minute into the game. And Vettinia scores his first goal. Man who came in from Braga. In the winter transfer window, not to be confused with the one that plays for Paris Saint-Germain. This one's a centre-forward, and in his first start with Alexis Sanchez, he gets on the score sheet. There's a good ball in, and there's a goal! And it's Sengiz Under, third time of asking, the Turkish international gets his third goal of the season. Quick ball forward as they've been doing through the game. And Sengiz Under, who spends more time setting up chances for his teammates, was an awful mess in midfield by Troyes. Ball given away, not for the first time in the first half. Still in there with Bettinia. Say Kalazanac, not exactly committing many bodies forward. However, they've committed enough. And they've scored again. Bettinia takes the hugs. Great ball in. Really unlucky. Kalazanac hits the woodwork. And it comes straight into Vettinia, who reacted really sharply. It's been robbed, though, and the chance at the very right of the death here for Troyes. Even that doesn't quite work out. They're still coming, though. Mama Balde still looks up for it. He wants his own little piece of personal glory, and he might get it! Right at the end, Poe Lopez's clean sheet disappears in a puff of smoke. Well, it was the only really fast break and only real urgency we've seen getting forward from Troyes almost in the entire game. Lovely play. Goal number 11 for Mama Balde. The one little piece of light on a very dark night for Troyes. Jonathan Johnson then. Marseille retaking second spot. A couple of goals for Vitinha, emulating his Parisian namesake. Perhaps that was the little spur he needed as well. If a defensive midfielder with my name is scoring goals, in the capital at last. Maybe I should get amongst it. Um, what does he bring to the table? And Marseille, we know they've been stumbling. I think that was something like six, five or six matches, five matches without a win at home before this game against Troyes, who have been easy beats of late. They're still in the hunt amazingly. And Marseille, it's such a difficult place to travel. When things are good, it's a fantastic place. We seem to say this every year. When things get bad, it can be a very difficult place as well for Marseille as much as any other team to travel. Igor Tudor, he, we know he's a tough man. He won't, he won't worry so much about, about you know, what people on the outside are saying. But Marseille, they're back in second place. Is it theirs to lose? 
I do think that this is a massive opportunity now for OM to to maintain the kind of consistency they need to sew up second place. Uh, you know, I think they would have been uh, motivated by the fact that they saw Lens uh, go down in Paris because they probably would have been sweating it before that uh, Samed uh, red card after 19 minutes because, you know, Lens looked like they might avoid defeat and then, you know, to, to suddenly, you know, get blown apart like that. I'm sure that the Marseille fans found themselves in quite quite an unfamiliar position of cheering PSG on in that game. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, Vitinha coming into form will be a big help. Getting that win at home, moving back up into second place, that gives, uh, you know, another sort of wave of positivity. And it puts the pressure on Lens now, you know, not to slip up between now and the end of the season to try and keep that pressure on. Because if Lens do, uh, you know, suffer a little bit of a dip in form, like we saw a couple of months ago after they beat PSG, then, uh, you know, possibly, uh, you know, that could be enough for, for Marseille to to get this over the line. But I do think that, you know, seeing Vitinha in that kind of form, you can understand a little bit more now why they decided to go big for him in January. You know, I think, first of all, you know, to get the monkey off his back with that first finish was very good. But I actually really liked the second one because of the reaction that he showed in order to to steer it in, you know, sort of coming to him at very, uh, very short notice and high speed. So, I think Vitinha, if he's that sharp in front of goal between now and the end of the season, could be the difference uh, for them in some of those games, especially the the sort of ones that are tough to unlock at home. Baptiste, Trois. Patrick Kisnovo picked up seven points early on in his reign uh, at, at, the, at the club. They've dropped from 14th all the way down to deep into relegation trouble now. They're cut adrift from safety. For the moment, this experiment hasn't worked. Now, I noticed a little tweet of yours over the weekend um, about how Toi uh, are operating because, and to, to give some background, they're part of the City Football Group. Of course, Patrick Kisnorbo was a championship winning coach with Melbourne City in Australia, also part of the, the CFG, the City Football Group. It's an in-house promotion, if you like, for him under Eric Mombarts, who was involved in the Melbourne City uh franchise, if you like, who's returned to be a director of football at Troyes. He's brought in Patrick Kisnorbo. So this, Eric Mombarts is a coach with a lot of experience in France. He obviously saw Patrick Kisnorbo as a good fit. How have you seen it? And and what do you see is happening at Troyes at the moment? Because they're struggling. I was watching the game. The, the crowds are small. I mean, it's incredible how when fans see something or when there's a disconnect between the squad and them, when they don't see themselves, the, the values reflected and success. They want to be part of something successful as well. There were great scenes when they were promoted back to the top flight. Things are coming apart at the seams there. How, what's your reading of it? Well, you know, Trois are a traditional yo-yo club. I think that has to be. But they tend to do things their own way and they, have to, they tend to have a way of going about things. Um, in that sense, they're very akin to Norwich in the, in the UK. Um, they try and play good football. They... they play within their means and and they try their best effectively i think that's that was the ethos of the club before um the city football group took over you know them taking a punt on kisnobo when bruno irles had led them to safety quite impressively last year towards the end of last season and they were well within the fight to stay up uh, under him is you know to me smacks of a decision made with the interests of the group rather than the club at mind and I think that's why we're seeing the disconnect um, that you're mentioning, Robbie, around around the fans. But I have to say, watching the game, 
um, yesterday, what really struck me was just the lack of appetite from the players. I mean, that, that, was, that was a really damning, really damning performance for me. And that's, that struck me as players who don't necessarily play for their coach, but also kind of if you've got, if the atmosphere around the club just isn't going in a very posit- positive way, then it's very easy to, it's very easy to give up. And, um, and in that sense, Kiznobo is a casting error clearly but they're sticking by him and i you can understand why fans would be sharing a lot of discontent about that i love uh the the use of the very french term casting error i always enjoy it when there's a, a <laughs> signing that hasn't quite worked out and a player always gets uh, chalked up to being one of those uh what i actually find really interesting about the tar situation is this is something that extended to the very beginning of the season there was talk in pre-season that Elias would actually be dismissed they stuck by him. I saw them come to Paris and perform very admirably before the World Cup break. So I was surprised when he was actually dismissed. Uh, you know, but obviously Kiznobo hasn't worked out, but it just seems to have completely gone to pot, uh, you know, their form since. And it feels like perhaps, you know, many of the members of the squad kind of disagreed with some of the tactics that have been employed by CFG in terms of running the club and the the players sort of coming into the team because Quite clearly, many of the players who have been sort of farmed out to Trois are not of the kind of level where you would expect them to go back to Manchester and challenge to be part of, uh, you know, City's setup. So I think that there are sort of legitimate questions now in and around this this Trois squad and the the fan base. Like, you know, what sort of use, um, you know, is that kind of project for CFG if it's not to develop players who are actually, you know, seriously going to be able to to do something for for the main team. So, you know, I do think that should Trois go down, which unfortunately looks like an increasing probability at this moment in time, given their form, either, uh, you know, CFG have to rethink uh, the way that they, you know, run that project. I don't know, maybe they look to try and bring in somebody, uh, you know, who used to be part of the CFG group, perhaps a Patrick Vieira, somebody like that, who's probably going to need to do a bit of work on his managerial record after his dismissal from Crystal Palace, or... You know, does do CFG perhaps, uh, you know, maybe cut their losses with Trois? Because to be honest, it hasn't really felt like there's ever been any clear strategy with CFG and Trois since the the very beginning. And I I kind of got the sense that they would be one of those clubs that were a ticking time bomb this season after you heard those suggestions that Ilez was very close to the door in the summer. I, I agree with with Jonathan. I mean, Bruno Ilez did a, a fantastic job for me. Uh, as you're saying, um, Batiste, he, he took them up, played some good football, scored a lot of goals. I think they were, what, 13th, 14th when he was fired. Uh, I, I know he's got a certain character, hasn't he, Bruno Ailes? He's like a TV personality guy, that kind of thing. But look, he, he got the results. And I think there have been, what, 10, 11 managerial changes in Liga. That has to be the worst decision, right, this year in Liga to, to fire Bruno Ailes. I, I would say that, put, put that out there. Um, in terms of the attitude on the pitch, Adil Rami was very critical of his younger teammates before the game. He was saying, look, the, I'm, he said something along the lines of, I'm at the end of my career, you know, I'm doing my best and I'm playing with these kids who don't seem to care, which which is a, a terrible indictment on on the side who were lost. I mean, the second goal was 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 comical. It was, I mean, Under was there about maybe 10 metres from the goal and our defenders were running away from him, including Rami, including Salmier. I mean, it, 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 it really was... Very, very poor. The only bright spark for um, Trois is uh, Mama Balde, who oh, I'm very impressed with. I think he's going to be playing in, in Liga next year. Uh, Trois definitely won't. 
Okay, I want to bring up. Well, that's. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna continue turning the knife into poor old Patrick Kisnovo uh, at the moment. I I will say that he he is a, a very strict coach, and he has a fantastic relationship with his players back here in Australia. They would run through walls for him as well. He's a he's a man motivator. We were talking about those coaches between a tactician and a motivator, and I suspect as much as anything, when you have that that alpha male coach in a dressing room who's who's trying to to highly motivate um with force forceful words and 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 an aggressive mentality his players if there's a a language problem there as well that can just sound like noise and be bouncing off uh and i know there are foreign players as well but there are lots of french players and francophone players in that side and um, I heard early on that that language was definitely uh, a problem within that within that changing room. But like I say, Patrick Gisnorbo, you talk to his players here and players who have come from the Premier League, players who have come um, at Melbourne City has Valon Barisha, who was at Stade de Reims for the last two years, the former Lazio player. He's there at the moment, loved him. So so he he when he can plug into the player into the brain and get that connection. He's capable of doing fantastic things, but it certainly hasn't worked uh, for the moment at Trois. To come back to Marseille very quickly, because if there's been a problem with Marseille in recent years, and we were talking about the pressure that can build on you in that home stadium, JJ, I'll go to you first. Let's keep this uh, and bounce it around, guys, with a few names. But I was chatting to producer Stephen just before the game and just before the podcast. And about the last great number nine for Marseille, because they've been struggling with goals. When you're a great number nine for Olympic de Marseille, you really are king of the world. Now, even if it can last a very short amount of time, which for some it had, Dario Benedetto, for example, was maybe, you know, 65 minutes of one game early on in his career. He was king of the world. And must have still, thought still Matt Spiro's favourite player though. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a... <laughs> well, Matt Spiro is a, is another that is is caught under the spell of Olympic de Marseille and 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 those amazing nights. He must have commentated a Dario Benedetto uh, diving header in one of those the, one of those early games. But JJ, how hard is it to be that number nine? And for you, I mean, Andre Pierre Gignac is is probably one that 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 comes immediately to mind as the, one of the more recent ones. But there's been Milik. And there, there are players, Benedetto, obviously, but, you know, now Vitinha, players that just haven't been able to shoulder that responsibility. And look how long it's taken someone like Alexis Sanchez, for example, just to, to, to feel like it, this is his role. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I would certainly say that in terms of the last great number nine, uh, you know, a real proven predatory goal scorer. I would say that it has to be Gignac, but Gignac's story, like leading up to success in Marseille is, you know, it perfectly illustrates how difficult it is to establish yourself there because he had so many run-ins with managers and came so close to leaving the club before ultimately really turning himself around and making himself, a, you know, an almost legendary figure with the OM fan base, you know, under Bielsa. You know, I think it's really, so much at Marseille depends on not just, the player and their ability to sort of make a connection with the crowd and feed on that that crazy frenetic energy that uh, you know gets built up in Velodrome, but also to have a coach who recognizes the players that have that potential. And when that all sort of uh, you know comes together in the melting pot, then you know it can be quite potent. But equally, 
sort of that kind of environment can easily eat up a player very you know very able players you know players with fantastic goal scoring ability like Milik I know was this kind of a source of frustration because he didn't get used as much as he thought he was capable of playing uh, obviously he's a player who had injury issues as well so I don't really doubt the profile of the player just he didn't quite you know catch fire in the way that we you know maybe knew that he could uh if he was deployed differently by a, a different type of coach so for me i'd certainly say it was juniac i don't know if uh if baptiste or andreas uh you know have a, any other sort of candidates to throw out there but i i feel that juniac's story certainly shows how you really have to fight to earn your place uh at marseille certainly in a a position of great responsibility, like being the number nine. Yeah, it's Batista's just put into the chat. Hang on, Andreas. Sorry, go ahead. Batista's just put in the in the attack. Grand attaquant, grand attaquant, yeah. which is the well. I'll get you to say it with your best Marseille accent. But that's a a, a, a big attacker with in French with the Marseille accent, and and obviously you must be talking about Didier Drogba. As as the archetypal there, the man that played one season at Marseille and is still considered a legend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for for Marseille, it's a combination of things. I think obviously it's it's rabid fan base with a goldfish memory. So you're only as <laughs> you're only as good as the your last game, effectively. And a little, you throw in a little bit of early '90s tapi Champions League nostalgia, where you had Jean-Pierre Papin, Rudy Voller, and all these guys. And anybody who's going to wear the number nine shirt is going to Alan Boxic. Yeah, is going to is going to face. Um, those expectations so I, I you know agree with i think um you know the mention of geniac who had to face a lot of hostility for a long time and and drug you know drug bar probably the two that come to mind mamadou nyang as well maybe was was not uh seen in the same stratosphere but was actually a very very serviceable player for a number of years um but i think it, it's when you combine all those elements that's why um, it makes it difficult for for a player and and actually that rabid fan base also wants to see players not just be good but actually care and kind of get the Marseille ethos and I think that's what that's what Drogba sort of sort of got really he got us you know he seized moments and he got you, you know he took games by the scruff of the neck which actually Gignac in a way kind of didn't and that's why Drogba is more revered that Marseille fans want to see that they want to see players step up and take ownership and take responsibility and that's uh, i mean that's very very demanding but that's you know that's what makes marseille what what it is i agree batiste and it is such a hard place to 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 play year in year out and be consistent i, mean, I just had to check again I, I mean drogba did play one season at marseille it's amazing because he's you associate him so much but he had that amazing european run didn't he when, when marseille got to to uh, I think it was the UEFA Cup final, wasn't it? We haven't mentioned Ravanelli because he was a person that's going back a few years. I know, I know Robbie, but Ravanelli was, was pretty successful. And I always remember an, an English um, journalist asking him, like, "What I mean, why are you changing Middlesbrough for Marseille? Like, you know, like, why would you do such a thing?" And it's like, well, you know, anyone who's been to those cities will probably understand Marseille is a kind of nicer city than Middlesbrough. Nothing, nothing against that, that fine Northern city, but yeah, I'll throw Ravanelli in there as, as another great, um, but again, short lived. I think it was a couple of seasons um, in terms of consistency over many years. Yeah. I think, I think Jonathan's right. We, 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 we right up there. Yeah. I think, I think maybe when you, when you talk about those that have really, I mean, Gignac did. And I think Gignac was a, a fantastic goal scorer for them. But you have to have some success, don't you? I think Mamadou Nyong 
is probably revered in Marseille as a, because he brought the title there. He with 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 El Comandante. I mean, that was it was them that won the league for for Marseille. That combination, those two, um, was brilliant. Gibral Cisse also played there, but didn't have much success, as you said. Andreas, you know, Didier Drogba took them to that final. I think it was Valencia, where uh, Fabian Bartes was gave away the penalties early on. Was he sent off? Yeah, as well? early on. It was in, a penalty and a standing early, off. Very early on. Yeah, unlucky. Yeah, and I think Didier Didier Drogba was injured as well after the heroics against Newcastle. Um, Camel Merriam was in that squad as well. It was a great run, and but you've got to have those sort of those legendary moments that that build your name as well. I was talking to Jean-Pierre Papin a couple of years ago um, about his history with Marseille and the fact that he he lost a, a Champions League final uh, with them. Well, he lost with uh, with uh, Marseille. No, in fact, I don't think he was there. Yes, he was there in '91. He was there because he he'd been on loan at at Bordeaux as well. But he uh, he lost one. Then he won one with with Milan. Milan lost. No, so hang on. I'm going to get the story right. He transferred away from Marseille to AC Milan and then lost that Champions League final to to Marseille in 1993. And then the next year they they won it again. So got there in the end. There are some great names coming up in the in the chat of Marseille. Um, number nines as well. Twafilu Maulida, the man that used to have the little message in his shin pad. Each time he scored a goal as well that he'd bring out. But Jean-Pierre Papin told me that when he first arrived at Marseille, it was an absolute nightmare. And he almost buckled under the pressure. And they called him, his nickname later, of course, became Le Papinade for his incredible, incredible goals. And JPP, as he was known. And JPP, when he first arrived at Marseille in the first six months, was Jean Peplu. And all the fans would call him Jean Peplu, which is, we can't take it anymore. <laughs> JPP. Jean Peuplu, and that was, and he almost left. He almost left Marseille, never to return. He stuck it out. He said he worked on on hitting these volleys, and thought this is the only way I'm going to get out of it is just by my technique, and uh, hang it all on that. And in the end, it worked. So fantastic uh, history lesson. We've had it all in this episode of Le Beaujeu, and we're just about done. But one of the other big moments you've all been waiting for is coming right up. Don't forget to join the conversation at League One underscore ENG on Twitter. Email us your questions, your comments about the pod to League One Podcast at gmail.com. Like, subscribe, follow, recommend the podcast on your favorite platform. Now it's time for our weekly chance for you to go into the draw to win a League One jersey. It's the Who Am I? I've written a small novel about this week's clue as well. Um, last week's, a few people got it, not many. It was tough. I, I realized that there were very few clues and, uh, the people that got it right, hats off, because I think you must've taken a little bit of a stab in the dark, but there were some that got it correct. This one, a return to form, but a complicated one, I suspect. This is Deja Who, who am I? A France international. I grew up playing for my hometown club, but after making my Ligue 1 debut, I was loaned out the following season, eventually named in the Ligue 2 Team of the Year, before another loan deal, followed this time in Ligue 1 12 months later. I made it all the way to the Coupe de la Ligue final. A third consecutive loan deal saw me head off 
for a first overseas experience and at the end of another promising campaign, so a third consecutive season out on loan, I finally returned to my hometown club and started playing regular football, although perhaps never truly first choice. And I was soon back on the road. I actually won four consecutive league titles in three years across two different countries, as well as tasting international success. The loan deals then continued, taking me to two new clubs and a third country. And perhaps now in 2023, with a permanent deal signed and in my breast pocket, I will finally get my hands on some continental silverware. Who am I and which are the clubs I have actually signed permanent contracts with in my decade-long professional career? So there you go. We got there in the end. If you think you know who that is, send your answers via email to league1podcast at gmail.com. It's a tough one. I'm just seeing in the chat if anyone's put anything in there. I'm still seeing Twafilu Maulida's name as the last uh, option in the chat, so I don't think it was him. Lads, Andreas? What, can I clarify? You, you were saying I'm hoping for European silverware like this Oh, now, this very season. He's looking for European. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that narrows it down. Okay, that, that will help us. I still don't know what it, it is, does. but at least then I can I'm, think about uh... it. <laughs> Excellent. And we have two other answers in the chat, which I'm not going to say uh, anything more about or ask you two gentlemen who you think it was, because I think you could be uh, spot on with that one. Next up, we're going to take a look at what's coming up this weekend in Ligue 1, round 32 of the season, Angers against Paris Saint-Germain. Angers, who can be officially relegated with six matches to spare if they lose to Paris Saint-Germain. Is there going to be any generosity of spirit or perhaps inconsistencies that we've come to recognize in the French champions of late? We'll have to wait and see. Auxerre take on Lille, Lens-Monaco, Reims-Strasbourg, Ajaxio Brest in another battle of fear. Lorient to lose for the mid-tables. Nantes versus Troyes. Surely we're getting to the last chance for Lestac and Patrick Kisnorbo against FC Nantes. Perhaps one eye on the Coupe de France final, which is coming up very quickly as well. Nice versus Clermont. Montpellier versus Rennes. And then the final match of the round, a big one. The Olympico, Olympic Lyonnais against Olympic de Marseille. It's time for a bon voyage. We'll start with uh, alphabetical order. Andreas Evagora, where are you headed this weekend and why? I would head north to, to Lons um, because I respectfully disagree with Jonathan. I think Jonathan thought that Marseille were favourites for second. I still think it's Lons because... They're still going to, I was looking at their program this morning, they're still home to Monaco, home to Marseille, home to Ajaxio. Um, I, I, I really was impressed with Lens uh, at the weekend for the first 20 minutes. And I'm very interested to see how they'll do against Monaco. You never quite know what you're going to get with Monaco, that they were very good at the weekend. So I'll head north. It'll be a very good atmosphere and a very important 
uh, not decisive match, because I think we use that word too much, but a, a very important match to see who's going to get that second place. I think Lons will, and um, I, I think, yeah, I, I'd, I'd go to, to, to Lons this weekend. I think that's going to be a great match. I use decisive right at the top of the program, Andreas. Perhaps I was talking about this podcast, the decisive <laughs> podcast in the history of Le Beaujeu. Baptiste, you're next. I'm going alphabetical order on, Christ- on first names as well, by the way, JJ, which is why you're, you're, you're coming up in third place. Baptiste, where and why? Um, I mean, the Olympico, you can't get, get away from that. That's always a spicy, spicy game, especially with what's happened over the last few years with Payet being hit on the head with a bottle. It's always, you know, it's, uh, it's always got a special atmosphere. And... Um, and you are in a good run of form, so I think they will, they will try and put a spanner in the works. Um, for a slightly more niche, I'm quite intrigued by Lorient Toulouse. That seems like quite a fun game to go to. Two good football playing sides. Get some galette saucisse at, at Lorient and some crepe, and and you're you're having a good day if it's good weather. Absolutely, you have to wait before you get back into your cassoulet <laughs> and your duck down in Toulouse for. For a return leg there, maybe maybe after a Coupe de France victory, because that's what they must have a couple of eyes on as well, on the big prize, Toulouse. It's been, my goodness, the last time Toulouse pulled down silverware. I can't, I can't think of it. JJ, where are you off to? Oh, it's interesting that you mentioned the Coupe de France, because I was tempted to go west to see if uh, the Nantes fans agree with Antoine Comboire's uh, summary of his team's effort, because he was on side with the fans in their criticism, agreeing that the team were expletive. Uh, on the pitch over the weekend against Auxerre, but I think if I really had to choose a game outside of the the, the picks uh, that have already been made by Andreas and uh, Baptiste, I would actually go for Montpellier-Rennes because I think if Rennes can get the consistency together that we were talking about earlier, uh, I think they are you know still in with a good shout of uh, finishing in the European places. Uh, and I do think that Ren would be one of the better teams positioned, uh, you know, to to compete next season if they do qualify. So I've got my fingers crossed for them there. And Montpellier, fantastic place to wander around, have some great food, uh, you know, great drink as well. So it's uh, especially in the the good weather, it's a, a very nice place to be. I, I I found out on a trip down to Montpellier once that they are, are great producers of Musca, which is a, a sweet white wine, which is a, a fantastic drop as well and uh, can give you a terrible hangover so don't drink too much of it but it is a, a fantastic thing Musca from Montpellier nobody mentioned Ajaxio now Brest to get to Ajaxio that's uh, one hell of a trek for those away fans who are going to try and get there keep in mind you have to leave Ajaxio from a three o'clock kickoff uh, midway through the second half to get the last ferry back to Marseille to ensure that you're back home in Brest to work uh, the next morning. So you travel all that way. You rarely get to see the full 90 minutes anyway. And more often than not this season, it's been a victory for your side as well. But Ajaxio, the weather must be spectacular down there this time of year, just warming up nicely for for a nice uh, bit of a spring day. You would use your private jet, now, wouldn't you, Robbie? gentlemen. Honestly. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Or, well, yeah, I guess so. Uh, breast supporters known for their, for their private jets? <laughs> not that I know. <laughs> <laughs> I could, of course, use my private jet. Absolutely. No, brilliant stuff. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for, for coming on the show today. Uh, don't forget, people listening at home, like, subscribe, promote, leave a rating, share us with your mates, get everyone listening 
Follow us on Twitter on the official channels. Don't forget there's videos on league1.com as well and all the latest League 1 news. There's player profiles, match reports, match previews, feature stories on league1.com. All you need to know to follow your favorite team or just hear about the latest craziness surrounding Paris Saint-Germain and Olympic de Marseille. That's the way it is every week in France. Gentlemen, I won't do individual goodbyes. I'll just get you all to wave at the screen as we say goodbye. Thank you very much for joining me. Next week, Ian Holyman will be back in the hot seat and we will have all the wrap of round 32 of the Ligue 1 season from Robbie Thompson, Jonathan Johnson, Baptiste Reno, and Andreas Evagora. We'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. Messi again, this time maybe Messi's done it!